Hi there. Welcome to the No Film School podcast live from Sundance. We're here in Park City. This is Gigi Hawkins. I co-host this podcast that you're listening to. I'm here with... Ryan Koo, founder of No Film School. And... Alyssa Miller, a contributing writer at No Film School. So we're here and we're very tired because we're about a week into the festival, but we have smiles on our faces because mm-hmm. I think we've seen a lot of amazing films and filmmakers and met in people across the board. Today, we're going to talk about the films that we saw. Then we're going to reflect on the festival itself, how it's changed, did our expectations from our first convening of earlier this week come true and some trends that we're noticing across the board. So um, yeah, let's start with films that we've seen. Uh, Who wants to go first? Alyssa. I would love to go first. Yes. Oh, I've seen some really great films here at Sundance 2023. But one thing I want to shout out is just the amount of diversity that's uh, here in this program. It's really refreshing to see. And yeah, I'm just so happy that we're celebrating all these different types of stories out there. I was struck by the same thing, and I was thinking it's not just diversity in terms of race or gender or sexuality or even nationalities in, in the world, but it's it's like diversity in emotion, like like the entirety of the human experience is like found in this slate. And when people talk about seeing movies and how it's traveling without moving, it's also it's not just the sensation of seeing other cultures and other uh, and having empathy for other people, but you really get to experience so so many highs and lows that that constitute the human experience mm-hmm. in a in a really compact amount of time. So I think that's the other reason we're tired is because it is you know to be crying at a movie, to be laughing at a movie like that takes emotional energy to do that, mm-hmm. and not in a bad way, but it just feels like in addition to all the parties and all the movies and and, and the lack of sleep that it's it's like emotionally draining in a good way. Do, yeah, do you feel that way? Absolutely. I mean, the highs and the lows. And in coming out of, you know, usually I'm a one movie a day gal, but going back to back to back and and laughing so hard that I'm crying and then crying so hard that I'm laughing or just continuing to cry and, and feeling feeling moved again and again is exhausting. And usually I have just a, a little bit more of a, uh, recovery turnaround time, but here we're we're just running to the next screening, running to the next interview with these filmmakers, and um, and in that also is something that is I think <laughs> empathetically draining because most of these filmmakers were working up towards the deadline and are still processing in real time the fact that they've finished their films. I think. of the people that we've talked to turned in their DCP like the day that it was due and they were editing and color correcting and getting the mix right up until that moment. So I think there's this like mutual exhaustion of everyone here and excitement at the same time. Add on top of that, a lot of these people, their films are being acquired. So they're going through that emotional roller coaster as well. So you're never not living in the moment, living within your emotions and sitting with these fantastic stories that are being told. What, what shook you, Alyssa? I am a very emotional person, so everything can shake me. But uh, there's three stellar standouts that I have. I want to start with probably my favorite just film that I've seen at this fest, which is D. Smith's uh, Kokomo City. A brief synopsis, if I can do a one sentence one. 
The film follows four stories of Black trans sex workers in New York and in Georgia. The film is D. Smith's first, first venture into filmmaking, and it's so cool and so stylized. I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with her, actually, about the process of her film, and it's shot in a very beautiful gorilla style. Of, uh, it's not terribly focused on the visuals as much as it is about what's being you know, said. I think that's just so beautiful. And that's what really moved me through the story. Um, so <laughs> it was great because I got I to gotta attend the premiere. So I was sitting with a lot of the cast and the crew. And they were just laughing. And you'd hear the oh moments and people were crying. I really just felt everything in that, in that film. And I will come back and return to it multiple times. And what I think was so fun was that I found out that that movie was edited on iMovie. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is a headline. This yeah. is more from this from No Film School soon. They edited it on iMovie? Yeah, D. Smith. Uh, so D. Smith is the director, uh, quote-unquote writer, composer, editor, DP, everything. Uh, she had every single role. And because it's her first time, she's like, yeah, I'll just learn an iMovie because it's what I have. It's inspiring. That's amazing. I know. Already installed. You have the tools. You have the resources if you have a MacBook. And uh, in our conversation, she's like, I had absolutely no budget. I was just doing what I could do. And, you know, and sometimes that shows a little bit, but it doesn't matter because, you know, Smith was being completely true and honest to who they are as a filmmaker. And it really does shine. And it does make all the difference in the world. So, yeah, that was my standout. That was, yeah, that gets the gold star for me. <laughs> you teased us with, with three? Three? Yes. Okay, so, so, so two more. I have two more. Okay. I'm assuming they weren't edited in iMovie, but no. you never know. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, the one I watched today that made me cry and laugh was uh, The Pod Generation. That has Amelia Clark in it. And I wanted to catch it on the first night we were here. But, you know, life doesn't always work out the way you expect it to. So in, in life and at Sundance. In, in life and at Sundance. You we know. come in with really ambitious <laughs> schedules. The director behind that one is Sophie. Uh, I hope I do not butcher the last name. Her name is Sophie uh, Barthres. Barthres? Yeah, I'm going to say Barthres. You can correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, people. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, so she's uh, the director of the film. Basically, it's living in the future where, you know, we kind of accept more technology and AI into our lives and, you know, birth rates go down. And if you don't want to have a a natural birth, you can have a baby in a pod. Pod babies. (laughs) A pod babies. It's the elevated version of a test tube baby. (laughs) And I love it. (laughs) Oh, I get it. Pod generation. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, what the gen alphas which we just discovered here in the no film school condo are the ones who just were born Mm -hmm. um they will be like you know they'll be raising pod babies yeah yeah and i think the film was so great because it's marketed as a satire and i know a lot of people were expecting it to be funnier than it is but it's a very real possibility that a lot of these things could happen and you're trying to navigate how do i coexist in this space where we're trying to push out you know, things that are quote unquote natural to our earth. So yeah, it was a really beautiful story. Uh, it reminded me a lot of um, the Spike Jones movie, Her, uh, but with babies. 
And I, I just, I loved it so much. I, it has a very hopeful ending. So you're never going to be super depressed in it. Uh, there was a line in it where they were going to the preschool and um, a family asked like, oh, so what are your government like regulations for education? And the person in charge goes, oh no, our government stopped funding education years ago. And I was like, oh God, oh no. Too close. It was too close to home. And I was like, God, I hope, I hope this is not the future. So it sounds like the government was taking no film school very literally, but not just film school, just no school, no school. No school.com is our future apparently. No. Oh, I hope not. Oh my gosh. It was so funny too. Cause they were like, um, they're like, this is the arts and crafts room and it's, computers making all the art and I was like not the AI generated art oh, no. <laughs> not the AI generated art <laughs> it's got to be so hard to make a movie about AI because it's changing so quickly and yeah. it takes a year or two or more to make a movie and by the time the film's coming out it's, it's like the, the the chat GPT-4 can write a whole film script and well, that, uh, anyway that film in particular was a Sloan grant and I think they won the award for it which like you know that that uh, nonprofit is all about like looking at future technology and telling stories about it that are, um, you know, positive and not. So I bet, I bet through that they were even like thinking about how do we make sure that this tech is beyond we, it can't be dated or like, how do we approach that? Well, we will be covering that topic, uh, extensively on no film school because Todd has thoughts. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the AI overlords are coming. It, but in terms of human-made movies, I've seen uh, some incredible movies that give me faith that it's not it's not easy to duplicate what we do as human beings mm -hmm. with an AI. But I will be proven wrong, and uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I think I think you know what we've already talked about is kind of emotion, and I'm curious about you know what what the AI's emotions are because the currency of human emotion is so would probably be one of the hardest things for an AI to define. And a lot of the movies that I've responded to the most here are the kinds of things that you could put in a time capsule. And then once the AIs have killed us all come back and watch these movies and say that was humanity. Yeah. And it's not because of a plot line or something that's formulaic. It's because of the creator's understanding of the currency of human emotions. And those are some of the hardest things to capture on the page and often the hardest things to push through in development when people are asking for your page count to get down or mm -hmm. when, you know, the, the film is, is at, you know, when, when executives or studios want more plot or action, like it's just the human emotions are the things that I've really responded to here. And I will, I'll try to blitz through a few because they're all very different movies and I think they're all, they're all going to be out eventually. But I will start with my home state of North Carolina. Writer-director Angus McLaughlin, who wrote Junebug all the way back in 2005, makes a movie called A Little Prayer, which is just a slice of life of a Southern imperfect family and just having conversations and dealing with breakups and infidelity and childbirth and all of the decisions around those things. And it's the kind of thing that is not high concept. It's not an easy pitch, but you spend the time with these characters that are very well drawn and feel really authentic in a way that as someone who's from the South, 
oftentimes Hollywood gets it so wrong mm-hmm. and then they make Hillbilly Elegy and it's a bunch of, you know, Hollywood actors doing really bad fake Southern accents as if it's still like 1800. And this was just uh, really refreshing to see like an authentic depiction of a place that I know really well. And that was just completely successful based on, you know, the emotional through lines and not uh, no sort of like whiz bang special effects or or high concept or anything. We actually um, had the pleasure of interviewing the DP for a little prayer, Scott Miller, on our DP roundtable, which will be coming out in the next couple of days. And he spoke a lot about working with Angus McLaughlin, who is local to the area, had access to all of the places where they were shooting and how thoughtful uh, that process was. And this is one of the films that I haven't seen yet, but as I was walking home, I was walking in a group of people who had just come out of the movie and you could hear the excitement and the glow from it. And I'm not surprised coming from uh, the team that created Junebug, which, you know, is a film that really like gets there, gets you there, gets you to those tears. Another movie that moved me and that I think helps illustrate the um, not only the the range of stories that are told at Sundance, but the range of stories that come from just our own country uh, was To Live and Die and Live, which is the new narrative from Qasem Basir, who had previously a movie at Sundance called A Boy, A Girl, A Dream in 2018. But he wrote, directed, produced, and shot this film about a Hollywood director returning to his home city of Detroit after the uh, death of his stepfather. And it's one of those movies where it uses the structure of taking his stepfather's construction contracts and then tracking down people and you're sort of getting to know someone in their absence. But the, the, lead, the lead performance from Amin Joseph is just absolutely outstanding and I think so important to portray on screen. And it's the kind of movie that you feel like Sundance helps give a platform to and helps elevate. And without Sundance as this platform and, and, and as an acquisition market and with helping with press and buzz and all of that, that it would be difficult for a movie like this to get made. And uh, especially, you know, it's a, it's a low budget film. He shot it himself, but the emotional range, uh, especially of the lead, is, uh, I think, a really standout performance and also just in the context of this country to see someone portraying black masculinity and vulnerability and exploring his Muslim faith. It's just a really important movie and, you know, kudos, kudos to the team for pulling it off. But sticking with uh, the variety of experiences within just our own country of America on the other side of, uh, of things is theater camp which is just a hilarious movie about musical theater culture and, and also, but it's hilarious, but also everyone is so talented because it's, it's so authentic, a depiction of musical theater and, and really uses the emotion in human voices, you know, so well. And it's, it's, it's so easy for me. I don't know about you guys. It's so easy for me to just start crying when someone has an amazing voice and is singing about something emotional. It's just like instant waterworks. And this movie, I think, is particularly well-suited to a film festival because Theater Camp, which is directed by Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman, is 
a story of putting a production together mm-hmm. and all of the trials and travails of that. And there's so many filmmakers here and there's so much respect for filmmaking here that mounting a production and then dealing with all the personalities and everything is just perfectly resonant here. And it's hilarious. And it's, it's, a, it's a mockumentary in the style of you know, Christopher Guest films and it does, it does so well by them. And, and also to have seen it at its premiere, it was so special because the kids who perform, the kids who go to the theater camp in the movie uh, performed on stage after the premiere, the, the finale from the movie. So it was a triumphant premiere and it has also been acquired, but we will speak about acquisitions later. What's beautiful about theater camp too is that it started off as a short film and was basically reverse engineered into being a full-fledged feature. Well, that's, you know, I've always recommended people do that. My Sundance Labs feature Amateur was a short first. You know, Half Nelson was a short first. Frozen River was a short first. Whiplash was a short first. So it's a great way to be able to demonstrate sort of a calling card that, that you can pull off a tone or a world. And I never would have been able to get into the labs if I hadn't made a short. I think, uh, I think you remembered, Alyssa. You, yeah, had, you had three my, films. <laughs> my Sundance brain fog has lifted. And I remembered and I was like, ah, oh, that, that's the film. Yeah, so my third film that I, I think needs to be celebrated in large just for its story and its perspective on this experience that, you know, many, many uh, queer people in the U.S. go through was the movie Mutt. Director Vux, um, it's a Swedish name. I'm going to butcher it. It's Vuk. Vuk? I believe. Vuk? Yeah. Do you know how to pronounce the last name? Uh, I actually <laughs> do have the phonetic spellings oh, right here. Right for it. Vuk Lung Ulav Plots. Beautiful. We, we have we're having them on the podcast in a, in a little bit but we had talked before the festival and uh vuk was like should i go by lk or but then he leaned full full last name anyway continue but yeah um it's his directorial debut as well um mutt tells a story about a transgender person just a day in their life it's a slice of life movie in the best of ways and I really want to just compliment the cinematography because it is absolutely gorgeous. I think it might be my favorite uh, cinematography of the entire fest. So DPs, please take notes and do watch. It's it's gorgeous in every way. Um, also has a great aspect ratio, which serves this introspective story pretty well. So I really, What's the aspect? Is it like four by three? Is it cinemascope? Like, is it wide or narrow? It's very narrow, like very the lighthouse. Narrow. Um, kind of like the lighthouse aspect ratio, I Got believe. It. Yeah, I'm not the old best. Old school, yeah, very old school. Academy, <laughs> yeah. but I think it all the the film also has one of my favorite lines of all time in it, where it's like um, our main character Finya yeah. is having a, just a really rough time <laughs> navigating the relationships with uh, the people in their life, and at one point. Uh, they're having a uh, he's having a fight with his ex and his ex says everyone hates you because you're an asshole and that's like the thesis of the movie it's like uh, you can hold on to this anger and it can fuel you and it can make you just focus on all the things that are you know causing you pain in your life and I just thought that was so beautiful Uh, I think that's what I really noticed from all the stories that I really like this year at Sundance is like how to let go of that pain and the anger that you have towards the world 
who is some is most of the time against you. I mean, life is hard for everybody, and it's harder for others who are trying to find themselves. And you know, and after finding themselves, trying to find their place in this complicated thing we call life. So yeah, that's those are my top three. <laughs> nice. Um, also, I misspoke. It's Vuk like Luke. Oh. So maybe you were right. Okay. So and and just for listeners, you can tune into the Mutt. Uh, interview probably closer to when the film is coming out. But if you're interested in theater camp, you can listen to our DP roundtable with Nate Hertzellers. And then we also had John, the editor, theater camp, who also is the editor on Search Party. So uh, those are both um, awesome conversations. For me, I'm going to shout out the the Midnight Short section. Um, this is a section that uh, had... Over both their screenings, the shorts parties were scheduled, so they went to their screenings and supported each other and missed out on the party that was supposed to be for them. Yet they all came here and hung out and talked about their creation. Um, so stay tuned for the the roundtable there as well. And it was really inspiring to building on what you both were saying about like the power of short store short form storytelling, but also these are folks who are pushing boundaries. We talked a lot about body horror. And two in particular I want to call out are, there's a five-minute animated short called Pipes. And we spoke with Killian Fusey and Jessica Meyer, two out of three of the directors who were here. And, you know, the animation process is different than like a traditional live action film. And it it was fascinating to hear how they came up with this concept but also the film itself is just a delight. It's about a plumber who is also a bear who goes into a gay club and chaos ensues. Like a literal bear? Yes, yes. <laughs> and when I was emailing with them, their email said like Bob Klempner. And I was like, oh, who's Bob, the producer? And it actually means Bob the plumber. And so it's just their like shared email. So anyway, following Bob's journey, quite inspiring. Um, the other short I want to shout out is called A Folded Ocean. This is written, directed, and produced by Ben Brewer. And it's sort of a dark, dark comedy about what it means to get intimate with somebody. I don't want to spoil it beyond that the visual effects are, look incredible, but it's something that was all rendered in 2D animation, and Ben did it all himself. So by the time the credits were rolling for this thing that looks incredibly like high production, there was just a single card. His girlfriend was the producer. He shot it on the Sony FX6, and his brother was in town and held the boom mic. So it goes to show that you don't need to have like a full-scale production always to make something that is brilliant. And then the other, the doc that I want to shout out is called King Cole. It's a it's a documentary with like elements of narrative. Uh, and when I interviewed the director, Elaine McMillan Sheldon, she said that she wanted to light nonfiction on fire. And I think she's done this with this doc that sort of blends verite with magical realism and these like stunning, wonderful journey uh, following this girl as she exists in Appalachia in a world that is in run by King Cole, a.k.a the coal industry. And so that is a film that I have a feeling will be 
acquired by Apple TV because it's so visually stunning. Um, Nat Geo seems like a natural fit. And it's also just like a meditate, a peek into this world that I didn't know existed. Then the final film that I want to shout out is uh, another first-time filmmaker. It's called The Starling Girl, and it's written and directed by Laurel Parmet. The film itself follows a a 17-year-old named Jem Starling who lives in a very conservative small town in the South where uh, she lives in a fundamentalist community and she starts an affair with her youth pastor. And this film is a will-they-won't-they thriller and it is steamy and dreamy and dark and has moments of like levity, but I just cannot believe the command, how Laurel, the director, was able to command this film and also cast it in a way where I was almost rooting for this relationship, which I think, you know, when you go and see the film, you'll understand casting Eliza Scanlon from Sharp Objects as the lead, as well as Lewis Pullman as the youth pastor. It's like you, that that in itself is an art. Um, And then finally, I want to shout out a scrappy producer who had a film in the shorts block. And I was so impressed by this person who was advocating because I feel like we're celebrating writers, we're celebrating directors all the time. But there is a short called Power Signal, incredibly well-directed and well, like very entertaining. Um, But the producer, Jordan Drake, was out there hustling and connecting dots for his his film and his filmmakers. And I think that it's, you know, that is one of those roles that just goes under the radar and is one of the most difficult roles in the world. And if you're good at it and and to see somebody who is so, so effortlessly supporting others, um, it's just really inspiring. So yeah, that's, those are my shout outs for the festival. I have, I have a final round of shout outs or I will shout out one movie in particular, but as an Asian American having been coming to Sundance for almost 10 years now to see our representation on screen really elevated this year and sort of as a trend in general has been really fantastic. And it it was to the point where I realized at one point that the last four movies I'd seen in a row had all been Asians on screen and behind the camera. And that, you know, never would have happened. Um, a decade ago and uh it, it wasn't i'm sure that there is you know some some bias there in terms of what i choose to see but it, it wasn't intentional you know like it was like these were narratives i was interested in and some of them were international and some of them were american and so it's really fantastic to see as the first well i was the recipient of the asian american fellowship at sundance i was the first one but it wasn't even called the asian american fellowship back then but anyway we've come a long way since then and there was one film I want to shout out in particular that I felt was just a masterpiece. Also from a first-time director, uh, Celine Song, who is a playwright, and it is Past Lives. It's an A24 film. It will be an award season contender, and I think it, it wraps up what I was saying earlier about how you know, the currency of a human, human emotion is, is the most important one, because this is a narrative that tracks childhood friends in Korea, one of whom uh, moves to, uh, immigrates to America. And then they catch up online 12 years later, but it is a unrequited romance at a distance. 
And then the male love interest finally comes to visit her in New York 12 years after that. Oh. So it's got 24 years of resonance and it is one of those films where you know you're in the hands of a master writer because the emotions that hit at the end don't feel contrived. You're not expecting them and mm-hmm. it's not, nothing is over the top. And it involves unexpected characters as well because she gets married to another man and then you expect, you know, he's a white dude. So you're like, oh, he's going to be the bad guy. But then he's a great guy too. Yeah. And it's like what you're experiencing watching this film has so much to say about the ups and downs of relation, human relationships, romantic relationships, and the sort of impossibilities of the title past lives come, comes from this Korean notion, inyun, which is that you were connected in a past life to someone. Mm. Uh, it's, just, it's just a brilliant film and something that I think I can use to bridge into our conversation about um, Sundance in general, which was, it, I didn't have tickets to it originally. You know, it's one of those things where you're at Sundance, you're on this part of town, and you look at the schedule, and then you go in and you, and you see something that you didn't really remember the synopsis of, and then yeah. it's you know it absolutely blows you away and is is your favorite of the festival. So yeah, I don't know, I'm emotionally drained, guys. <laughs> Let's, uh, but there's you know I think I think uh, the great thing about being back in person is very early on in the festival. I felt like, wow, movies are so alive and well. Independent film is so alive and well. And there's all this prognostication about the market and theatrical and the pandemic. But as long as the art is moving people emotionally and connecting with people, then we're going to be all right. And and this festival really, to me, was a, a showcase of that. I definitely feel connected to the industry in a way that I didn't expect, especially because I came here in 2020 and I didn't know anyone. And so it's exciting to be able to walk down the street and see people who have mentored me and see people who I've followed their work in their careers and I'm seeing their success. And, and, and I think that is like a reminder of the like humanity within this industry. Like it's so easy to villainize somebody like uh, somebody who's in a position of power, but there's also, but at the end of the day, like we're just all trying to, we're here trying to tell good stories. And um, I think it's just refreshing to, to all have to wait out line and outside in line in the cold, no matter what. You really bond when you're freezing. Everyone huddles together like penguins for warmth. Yeah. <laughs> and you meet some very interesting people in those huddles. Speaking speaking of meeting people, I do want to talk about some uncomfortable situations that came up at the festival. So part of the reason that we're here is to network. And I've talked about on the podcast um, some unfortunate situations that I've experienced at film festivals where my shorts have been screening. Particularly, I remember coming back from the Sonoma Festival where there was, you know, a feature director who had just won awards who was consistently crossing the line with me. And and the bummer is when I'm not with my producer or with either of you guys, I automatically now have this like wall that has gone up. And there have been like two instances here at the festival where I'm like, damn, like, is why are you saying that? It's 2023. Like, are you living in a bubble? Um, Like just one-off comments on like 
uh, for example, there was a producer who I met the first night who produces indie films and I, and my friend had known about him and he had been on other podcasts and, and it was exciting because it's a business opportunity to meet somebody who can potentially be a partner and help you bring something to life. And then I ran into him at another party after, you know, making a connection, exchanging cards. And, and he said almost, I was like, Hey, how are you? And he's like, Oh my gosh, you look so much cuter when you're not wearing a hat. And it sounds so, so small, but in that moment, I was like, well, I just feel like I'm being put in a box as like a cute girl. And I felt completely dismissed. And also it made me just cross him off the list of somebody that I'd want to work with because I don't want to work with somebody who will make somebody feel that way or feel that dismissed. And then there, there are also the situations of like, is this person the real deal or are they trying to like spin something or are they trying to get in bed with me? And that sucks. That sucks to be at a place where we want to be collaborating. We want to be celebrating filmmakers and to have to have that guard up. And unfortunately, like there are situations where I have to navigate with the guard up. And then there are times where I like have support where I can actually like feel like I can let loose a little bit and and actually be myself. But it is, a, I do want to just call out like that type of behavior continues to exist in this space. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. And it's uh, certainly elevated in a film festival environment where everyone's looking to party and to network yeah. and to, you know, maybe find romantic shelter in the cold. <laughs> and, you know, it's like all these things are mixed in together. And I mean, we had a conversation about someone and, and I was airing on the side of, I was like, look, I did not get a good vibe from that person. And it is unfortunate because obviously the, the, the film world has come a long way mm -hmm. with the Me Too movement and a lot of cancellations of people. But there is at any place where there are late night parties going until 4 a.m. and there may be house parties and maybe more like club-like environments, there's all sorts of um, icky interactions. Yeah. And I, I, I just wish that, I wish that one of the results of the things that have changed in the industry would be that like, this, this is not obviously only the scenarios we're talking about because yeah. there are a lot of non-binary and homosexual and heterosexual and every variety of, mm -hmm. of person is here. But I just feel like as a guy, it's like, if you are a straight guy and you're talking to a woman, like, let her be the one to show interest. Yeah. You know, yeah. like don't be creepy. Yeah. Especially if you are in a position of power. Right. Right. Even if you just think, think you're being nice, like check it before you say it. Like, could this come off another way? Yeah. It's just like being aware of the privilege you hold in the space. Cause there are people who do have more privilege than others just by like, you know, the systems that we live in. So yeah, just check yourself before, you know, you, make somebody feel deeply uncomfortable in a space where they're supposed to, you know, feel free to, right. you know, want to be a collaborator with you in the future. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and like the, there's the don't be creepy. And then there's, and you're, you're talking about like letting there be space, but actually like letting there be physical space. Like, are you literally <laughs> don't touch stop touching. us? Yes. Yeah. Does it leave room for Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> Arms <laughs> length away. <laughs> I feel like we need to come up with like something leave room for Jesus, but for like, 
Yeah. And we, I remember talking about this with the guys on the podcast and, and it was just like, okay, don't be creepy. But I think that there is like still this like lag, this lagging behind. And also everyone's excited to be here in person and excited to be like, I'm not on zoom. And so I get it, but like, yeah, especially late night when there's drinks and stuff, like, well, watch your hands. Don't Mm -hmm. touch my lower back. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Right. Like touching someone's shoulder because you're trying to like say hi to them to get them to turn is very different than touching someone's lower back or hip or yes, whatever. Yes, exactly. There's a different way to do it too. Like I don't want people to touch my shoulders either like at all. <laughs> I don't want to be touched <laughs> to be completely honest. Yeah. You can do like a like tap you like the hey. Tap, the, 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 tap the tap on the tap. shoulder is always is safe. great and safe. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's so funny to hear that. Like I have a completely opposite experience because, you know, coming into this fest, I'm, I'm a writer always. I'm not really in the world of filmmaking as much as I am a celebrator, uh, people who make films. Mm-hmm. But I I feel like I exist on the outside of everything here. Interesting. So like, um, I don't, I haven't had any of those like awkward experiences with other people because there are people who just don't always want to chat with me because they're wanting to connect, especially at parties. People want to like talk film and talk about uh, projects that could be and all these things. And I'm saying they're like, hi, <laughs> how's it going? Yeah, I, th- I think there's, there is a lot of great networking here. Yeah. I-, I was thinking, looking through my phone at people that we I texted with and just, you know, from three days ago being like, who is this person? <laughs> like, yeah. Not because not they weren't important, but because there were so many. And I was thinking, I, I just met more people here in a week than I will the entire rest of the year yeah. in the industry. You know, it's, I met it's, some wonderful people It's, it's insane. And, and I think that, you know, there is that unfortunate downside, but. But you have to put your, you are the business. You are your own business as a filmmaker yeah. and you have to be making these you have connections. To be doing it. Yeah. And, That's and true. it will, there will, I think there's so much value of, in, of being able to make these connections in a concentrated amount of time. You know, you kind of have done your time for the year. Yeah. And, and, you, other, and, and it, the reason, I mean, I, I do want to talk to the listeners about Sundance in general and, and whether and how to attend. And, you know, we're sitting here in this privileged place with a, condo and our own bedrooms and press passes that get us into things. And that is a rare experience. So I think, you know, the networking really is real and valuable, not just because everyone's here, but everyone's here for that purpose. And people that you might approach elsewhere, they might be less inclined to find out about you and your project and exchange info, but here that's what everyone is doing. So it's easier to do. And I think that we've probably done articles on it at no film school in the past, but there are ways to come to Sundance without, you know, a badge. Yeah. Right. And I think like as a volunteer, as a volunteer, you see one thing I noticed, I, I do think that festival attendance is down this year from pre pandemic levels. I noticed specifically and demographically that Sundance is usually has an older crowd mm. And post-pandemic, you absolutely understand why a lot of older patrons of the arts would sit this one out, not only because of uh, COVID risks or RSV risks, but also because now those, a lot of those films are available online. Right. And they probably don't want to stand in the cold for 45 minutes with a mask on and have to you know, take risks to their, to their uh, lives. So I, I did feel like attendance was down. It was, it, this, the first weekend was still a total madhouse, <laughs> but... You know, going to screenings today, we're recording this on Wednesday. I felt like it, it sort of fell off more mm-hmm. quickly than it has in the past, but we'll, we'll see what, what they say. But the attendance of volunteers was not down. It's like Sundance, you know, the brand is strong when 
thousands of people are coming here yeah. to volunteer. And every time you need a volunteer, there's actually like three of them right yes, there. Yes, yes. And uh, which bus do I get on? Yes, this and, is the bus. Yeah, and they they all have these bright green jackets, and it's a great way to come to Sundance. You know, you you try to there are Facebook groups. You try to reach out and find housing. You can sleep on a couch, sleep in a bunk bed. And then when you volunteer here to do various tasks like taking tickets or being a transportation coordinator, or, you know, running a theater, then you get to watch movies later in the festival for free. That's why there are so many volunteers here. And that's and that's a great way to come here without yeah. you know special access. And then, you know, just sort of run around and meet people like you can and and uh, take advantage of it. Because I do think that the question as as more and more movies were being made by streamers. And as more and more people were watching movies online was, and as reviews seemed to have less of an impact on, on viewership, the question was always like, well, what is the role of a film festival mm. in today's world? And just being here, it's like, it, it means more than ever because we're also on our phones all the time and online and not in person. And yeah. it's such a celebration to be around the 99% of people who aren't touching the small of your back and unfortunately yeah. we, we just need to find a way to to get those bad apples out yeah yeah it's happening i think they're slowly getting pushed or learning better i i totally agree with you and i actually love how take this with a grain of salt i thought i'd be tweeting a lot more from the no film school account and i think i did a lot less because there was so much going on and we were like you know, in back-to-back podcasts and having these deep conversations and making these meaningful connections and then going to films and being moved by the stories and going to these like events where you're thrown into a room with a ton of people and you're crashing together. And yeah, I think it's, I think this is actually a huge breath of fresh air in this world of social media, you know, where we, we feel like we are missing out because we see things on our phone, but here you can, you're wherever you are, you're part of the experience. <laughs> well, no, this was, this was, so, so Alyssa, this was your first. This was my Sundance. first. How is it compared to what you had, you know, the image you had in your head, like what your expectations were? Honestly, it kind of met expectations in a way and also exceeded them. It's hard to put into words what Sundance is like. All I know is that you're constantly moving. I am not someone who can stay up past 9.30, but I have not gone to bed until around like 1 a.m. just because I'm either like watching movies or out meeting really great people or, you know, like typing up articles or, you know, help, you know, doing my job at no film school. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I'm doing all these things and then I find little moments to just, you know, sit back and like look at the mountains and look at mm-hmm. the snow and go, wow, I'm here. I am cold. I should go inside. And then you go inside and into a, a movie or it's just, it's wonderful. It's so wonderful. And everyone's so nice. It's everyone I've met so nice um, and so supportive and just want to know more about you as much as you want to know more about them. And I just, I'm really fascinated by this community. Um, every, you know, city has their own filmmaking community and you know all those people. And then when you come to Sundance, it's all those communities clashing together and celebrating that we exist. And I'm just so moved and so blown away by it. And I will definitely be so sad if I can't come back next year because it's only going to get better as more people are like, well, I, I can attend. I feel safe enough to attend. Or maybe I'm attending because I have a film at Sundance. Oh, hair flip. <laughs> she flipped her hair, everyone. I'm I'm so sad because the larger Stanley 
water bottle that was only available at the brand activated Stanley Lounge. I didn't I was not aware of this. And you know, these water bottles are really just an important part of the Sundance experience to the point oh, where we're talking gosh. about it on back to back podcasts. Oh my gosh. Apparently if you got your aura red, which I wanted to do so badly but could not. Apparently if you get your aura red This was the thing they were doing at their their brand house. Yeah, the yeah, Stanley the cabin. Brand house. Um <laughs> Apparently, the color of your aura, you got a nice water bottle of that color. And I was oh. like, what? And then I was like, I know my aura color and I want that water bottle. And I'm just intense FOMO we, from that. We talked about like what, a, yeah, we talked about what a brand activation was. Mm -hmm. Well, I hate to break it to you, but I did get my aura red and I also got a big water bottle. So I think I won Sundance. You all did. Right, all right. All right. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the real winners of Sundance, which are filmmakers who came here with a dream of their movie being seen by a wider audience and whose movie got acquired. Oh, yes. So on our first podcast, it was very early in the festival. There had, there had been some pre-festival acquisitions, but we hadn't seen any numbers being thrown around. And the big question was, you know, how was the market going to be set? And, and were some of the bigger distributors and streamers going to be cutting checks? And the number that over the last few years has been kind of the 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 high mark uh, was Apple acquiring Coda for 25 million and then I believe going on to spend more on marketing for the Oscar than the film's budget <laughs> but anyway you know they did it they won and obviously it was a great investment so this year the news did hit that fair play was bought uh, by Netflix in the range of 20 million it's a uh, erotic thriller that I have, we have not seen it, right? Have, no. Have any of us seen it yet? No. Mm -mm. Well, it will be on Netflix. Uh, they, they're not going to buy something for $20 million Sadly, and that's why it. I didn't see it because I was like, well, I'll be able to watch this on streaming Right, soon. exactly. Or I, I, I didn't see Infinity Pool yet because by the time this podcast comes out, that movie is out. It yeah. hits theaters uh, tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. On Thursday, so, which is, yeah, the 26th. There, there is that sort of, um, you know, if it's coming out on a streamer, then maybe you don't need to see it here necessarily. But yeah, so Fair Play was bought for $20 million-ish. From director Chloe DeMont, who was Netflix. a was a TV director, and mm -hmm. then I think the next one that I'd heard about was Theater Camp, which we just talked about. Mm -hmm. It was bought by Searchlight for quote unquote high seven figures, so presumably just shy of ten million. And I, I always want to know the details on that because there are filmmakers who will take a lower dollar offer in order to enjoy the theatrical release and mm -hmm. the all the sort of offshoots of that, which is often, quite frankly, more critical acclaim and can be better for your career because the movie is on billboards and there are trailers mm -hmm. and just more people know about it over a longer period of time than the spike of a movie hitting streaming. And, you know, millions and millions of people might watch it, but you'll, you might see less social activity. You know, you won't see as much advertising in around town and in yeah. ways that might help your filmmaking career or the reviews might be better because people are watching it in theaters in right. the ideal environment instead of you know having their cell phone out while they're watching a streaming right. link so that's something i hadn't considered because i i definitely thought theater camp was going to be a hulu acquisition it feels similar to palm springs mm. in its playfulness and and also with its first time directorness but yeah i can, I, I, I thought apple too because it's like it's very feel good yeah you yeah know? But it says that that Searchlight bought uh, beat out streamers. Like there was a bidding war, so uh -huh. you know we want that we want that behind the scenes reportage. But unfortunately, we were not able to sneak one of these mics into that negotiation. 
Apparently, Flora and Son, directed by John Carney, was purchased or acquired by Apple TV for just under $20 million. As so we've well. got a couple of $20 million acquisitions. This is good. Wow. This is, um, yeah, everyone was worried. I think this guy has been following on independent film yeah. for about uh, ever since the 1990s, I believe. And yet, here we are. Here we are with multiple million. $20 million acquisitions. And that's. That's good for filmmakers. That's good for anyone trying to finance a movie in 2023 and 2024 because those checks are out there. Yeah. I'm, People I'm, aren't too scared to spend. I'm, I'm curious what the total spend will be on these acquisitions. Like, will it add up to an avatar, for example? Yeah, well, I'll definitely... No. It won't, but... The movie is $400 million. <laughs> you're right, you're right. I'll definitely get my calculator out Sometime tomorrow and see what I can add okay. up. Oh, yeah. Maybe that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's a No Film School article. Yes. Yeah, so I will get that up pretty pretty shortly. And uh, I'll keep updating it as we learn what gets purchased throughout the year. Most of them are not reported, though. The ones that are reported are the ones where the, the, the figure is very high because it helps hype up the movie. Oh, and it helps the yeah. narrative around it. But yeah. for a lot of these, these films, the acquisition okay. is not. There's no figure there. I'll, I'll still email the, the PR people and be like, hey. How is the acquisition process going? <laughs> a movie that I was excited that got acquired by A24 was talked to me by director Dan by directors Danny and Michael Villapu. I believe I said that right. Yes. Well, they're <laughs> they're famed YouTube creators who are known for their horror shorts on YouTube. And this is their first feature that they've done together. And I mean, both me and another writer at No Film School were so hyped for this because mm -hmm. we're big horror lovers. And then we are also A24 horror lovers. Yep, like, Mia yep. Ga can do nothing wrong right now. Some, oh, <laughs> As of the moment, she cannot do anything wrong. <laughs> she's, but, an, she's an icon already. Oh, so beautiful. I feel like she's one of the first like people who have become an icon in my, in my life it, as, that I've grown up with. Mm, yeah. Most definitely. I've always been fascinated by her as an actress. Mm -hmm. So to see her really be just loved by the horror community and the A24 community has been like oh, a dream. But yes, A24 bought Talk To Me or yeah, bought Talk To Me for what it says is a high seven figure range. Nice. So yeah, that's, that was great. <laughs> and A24, as you'd expect, also had several movies here, many of them in the premieres section because they're, you know, they're a studio. It's not. Yeah, they, they had past lives. Uh, A24 did past lives as well. I oh, really yeah. wanted to talk to the director, but hopefully that interview happens a little bit closer to the fil film's yeah, so, premiere. So A24 is so good now that they're like, they're so, they're so the cool kid that they just you know, will tell you no sometimes. Because <laughs> they, know, they know this movie is going to be an awards contender. They know it's going to be coming out months from now. It already has distribution. So they don't really need to do festival press at the festival itself. Yeah. But it's just, um, you know, ultimately, if they're making the movies they're making, and they're expanding, you know, far beyond their sort of thriller horror roots. Oh. And, uh, you know, all, uh, all, all good things to A24. There's so many amazing movies that they had, even just here at this festival this year. I feel like they are one of the champions of indie film. And, it, and it's very refreshing to see the studio evolve over the years. Would you call them a studio? At this point, there now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first movie, that I believe the first movie they financed themselves was Moonlight. So they uh, they got that one right and been doing well ever since, it seems. Yeah. I love A24's whole like philosophy of indie filmmaking. 
where it's like they'll say no to you, but they ask you to come back. And that's even what they do with like press runs and everything like that. It's they say, not the time, but please come back to us because mm-hmm. we would love to see what else you can do or how you can evolve this to be, you know, worthy of a big screen. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. Now, as we sort of wrap up the podcast, any final thoughts or or takeaways that you want to leave our listeners with? My takeaway was the pandemic really sucked. Yeah. <laughs> like it is so great to be back in person. Mm-hmm. And I tried to attend Sundance virtually the two years that it was online. And I really feel like something about coming here in person is kind of like a official the pandemic is over to me because Mm -hmm. that was one of those experiences that you just can't duplicate it online and to be back in person sort of marks a return to so many of the things that i love and i felt like the networking was even better because of that because Mm -hmm. everyone had a, a bit of extra energy for finally being back in person and i met so many people and and so many people in the industry that that um you know, someone that you want to know, you've had them on a spreadsheet somewhere, mm-hmm. or you've looked at their credits and you're tracking them on IMDb or whatever it is. And then you're at a place and they're just standing there and you get a chance to introduce yourself. So yeah, to me, this was um, one of my favorite Sundances and really just a great experience to to be back in the world and to be seeing these amazing movies and to have movies getting acquired. And yeah. we're back, baby. We're back. Sundance 2023. <laughs> um, you did have a goal to not get sick. How do you think that we'll get have COVID? <laughs> Not. I guess. I guess if we we're sick, we wouldn't know for a few days, right? Yeah. That's the. That's the thing. If we don't test positive for COVID in the next couple of days, then I'd say we won Sundance. Well, you know, some people were were wearing masks, and I think people just, as a matter of practice, are so much more accustomed to washing their hands and using hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. That hopefully, if there's any positive offshoot of two years of our lives being lost that, you know, it, there's Cleaner. a little more sanit It's a more yeah. sanitary Sundance. A sanitary Sundance. I love that. That should be the t-shirt. <laughs> um, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Let's say if I have any takeaways from just being at Sundances, go to film festivals, y'all. Like even if you don't have a film at that fest, but you still want to go to it for, you know, whatever reason you want to go, do it. If you if you are in a place where you can, do it. Save up if you want to go to Sundance 2024. Just go out there and watch the movies and meet the people and make those connections and be inspired. That's our duty as, you know, creatives mm-hmm. is to, one, be inspired and to celebrate the other creative people that we really cherish. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I say just get out there and wash your hands and be clean and respectful festival goer (laughs) clean creative respectful i love it well thank you both for joining and thank you to our listeners for tuning in Um, you can like rate and subscribe to the podcast across all platforms you can also find us on the web at nofilmschool.com we have a plethora of sundance coverage that is already posted and that will be coming out in the next couple of weeks as well as a podcast with plenty of conversations about the experience to get here. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and send questions to editor at nofilmschool.com. And I just want to say, it's been a joy having you both on the podcast, and I hope it happens more often. 
Oh, we'll make it happen. I'm amazed that Gigi still has her voice. It's That's the <laughs> other thing. You try not to get sick and then you try not to lose your voice. And you can probably tell that some of us, myself included, sound a bit different than we did a few days ago. But it's all, uh, all just a wonderful experience. Oh, yeah. Now, Gigi, you've already won Sundance. And if we get home and do not test positive, you double won Sundance. Oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Well, see you later, podcast listeners. Bye.